Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Rolling for JJ Williams into the 25. Williams kicks it on. This could be a try. Williams has scored! That little chip through by Gareth Edwards really caught the Springbok defence by surprise. Williams got his boot as he chipped ahead, kicked it through, the bounce went his way, and JJ Williams has put the line. Welcome to this week's Attacking Scrum podcast. There may be no international rugby, but my word, no shortage of things to talk about. And we've had some wins for the Welsh regions as well. Three out of four winning in their opening European competition. Uh, We've also had some huge news rocking rugby with regards to ex-players and brain injuries and uh, a story that I think is going to rumble on for a very, very long time. And uh, yeah, we've uh, we've also got the the Rugby World Cup draw takes place on Monday as well. So all of these things we're going to be having a look at. There's some transfer rumours too. And of course, as always, we'll be taking questions from the listeners. And I'm delighted to say joining me to tackle all of these things is Yestin George. How are you, Yestin? I'm very well. Uh, surprisingly optimistic again, Jed. Is this this has got to stop? Oh no! All it took, all it took was a global pandemic, and you've uh, and you've come out the other side an optimistic man. Yeah, exactly. Completely yeah. full of faith and hope. Well, let's uh, yeah. Before before we kind of get uh, stuck into everything, uh, I, I mean, I, I suppose as, a, as an Ospreys fan, uh, maybe that's a, just a good a good point to start. We'll look at that in a bit more detail afterwards. But uh, yeah, is, is that a game you enjoyed? Yeah, um, uh, yeah. The, uh, considering again the the phenomenal uh, kind of decline in the quality of the pitch of the Liberty, uh, it was no, it was very good. Uh, some really heartening, a really heartening performance with the sense that I, you know, uh, with a real sense of purpose. I think yep. a sense of structure and a sense of like people knowing what they were doing. It wasn't all that pretty. But it was good. It yeah. was, I was going to say about the pitch. What if Swansea City got monster trucks playing up front for them or something? It looked it looked appalling, Nick. I think they are 
from what I hear, um, and this is all just other podcasts and people um, people talking about it, that they're they're blaming each other, or certainly the football team when they drew with Bournemouth and then complained about it afterwards, were claiming that the rugby team had been training on the pitch. So, uh, and then I heard another podcast mention that. And I don't know if this was in jest or not that they'd flogged the light the lights to Cardiff City, uh, the lights that grow the grow the <laughs> the grass. Uh, that might just be a joke that I missed the uh, the subtle nuance of it. It might not have been a serious comment, but uh, that 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 they'd flogged it to Cardiff City for for a quarter of a million quid as a as a cost saving exercise. Oh but uh, that could easily not be true. Well, I mean, talking of cost-saving exercises, we've we've spoken a few times this year about the financial impact that, that COVID is going to have on the, the game in Wales. We've seen uh, various, uh, well, in fact, I think all of the all of the regions writing open letters to Mark Drakeford with regards to, to funding. Um, and then also on the money front, you've got this, this huge lawsuit that is... Um, that is looming and I mean we were talking a little bit about this off air it's I mean this could be something that absolutely rocks rugby to its very core I get the feeling that it's going to be yeah I think it's uh when you when you get people in there who are really very recently retired uh, who are carrying serious injuries and and obviously brain injuries in particular and that is not something that you can kind of take lightly. Mm. Uh, I, I, I always, I remember when, I, you know, I don't, I don't knock about with international rugby players very often, but somebody I was quite matey with, uh, I remember in his last season as part of the Welsh squad, he didn't want to have an MRI scan um, because he had a, a problem in his neck where there was some sort of fusion um, going on at the top of his neck and he knew that it might um, prevent him from signing uh, signing a, a contract with, with the Welsh team. Uh, and so, you know, I think players have always put themselves in in danger um, or taking calculated risks in order to prolong their careers. Mm. But this, this is obviously something that nobody would have ever thought uh, was as serious as it's turned out to be after, particularly after what um, I guess most of the listeners will have heard what Alex Popham and family um, talked about last week. And I, and I would say to anyone who hasn't seen that video to go onto BBC Sport and have a look at it. It's, it's, it's not an easy watch at all. And um, I think that's the thing is, is sometimes you get so bogged down in rugby itself. And, you know, we all, we all take it a bit too seriously at times. And then you see the, the human impact that, you know, that someone who was essentially going to work and doing his job has ended up with, with earlier onset dementia in his forties. Now, obviously I, you know, I can't comment on the, any of the legal aspect of this but you you watch that as a human being and it's pretty hard not to be moved by it and that's the thing for me is if you know if any of the governing bodies teams you know right the way up to world rugby if if they were aware of the damage that that was being done to a number of players and 
those risks were not informed because it's one thing taking a calculated risk when you've had a you know when you've had a third knee injury and you go yeah do you know what I'm I'm not, I'm going to carry on playing when it's when you're not aware of the impact and you've not been made aware of it if that is the case that's something completely different and um that's yeah that that's the thing that I think is going to be at the absolute crux of this story is is who knew um the extent of it and uh, and if that is the case then there's, there's going to be a, a you know every every grounds for a big lawsuit we saw it happen in american football and there was no there was no getting around that you know it was a, an absolutely monstrous lawsuit with big payoffs because that was that was the the only uh, the only thing that could possibly happen and if that happens to rugby there's there's a uh, you know there's going to be um severe financial consequences but if it if it makes the game safer for for the players that's that's ultimately what's what's you know the thing the thing that has to be we always talk about player welfare that's the thing that has to be the most important thing and yeah if players if players have been put out there and not knowing the risks then yeah then you can you can fully imagine um how steep those financial penalties are going to be it's another interesting thing of a conversation I had once with uh, somebody who worked on the national team's medical team and um, they went out to America to observe what was going on in in American football uh, because through the kind of Under Armour sponsorship as was. Mm. And uh, they came, they came back and said it was, um, it was astonishing that, uh, and uh, you know a an nfl team had basically uh, a medical team of of two one of whom was a junior kind of almost like an intern and and then a, a you know full time obviously they had part time people as well but that what their approach of, to it was that um was rather scary because they were saying that you know if somebody if an if an NFL team player was sort of broken, as it were, in one whichever physical way it was, that there would always be ten yeah. people banging down the door to come to come into the game, and that that it was almost sinister the way that they approached it and the medical. So they came back from the Welsh um, physio team came back from that sort of. Um, recce trip or whatever you would call it and 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 said well you know we we're really confident in our processes because we really do look after the players and we try to look after them and I think at some point you have to kind of say you know it's not you know it's not that people were people anybody associated with rugby is throwing these people in into the heat of battle knowing that they're getting terrible injuries and but but from a legal standpoint, the rugby authorities are in a position where they will have to mount a stern denial. Mm. Do you think to what to what's going on to, in order to protect the greater good? I, so it's I going do. to be horrible because that's, that's the, the scariest thing is that you can only think if you know if you were a lawyer in this scenario. If you say right, okay, off the back of this, we are changing. We are changing the game as a result. That is, you know, the the, the implied guilt that's there. That, that you know, again, I don't know enough about 
I don't know enough about the law to to say how damning that would be, but you can just see the putting putting two and two together. Uh, if if that came straight off the back of this and said, "Oh, all right, yeah, it's not safe," that's why a lot of the responses I, I would suggest have been, "Oh no, it's too quick. We haven't seen enough evidence, etc., cetera, etc." Cetera, which might be the right point from a legal due diligence point of view, but it, it, that doesn't help any players who are going out there on a on a weekly basis uh, and on a um, daily basis from a training perspective well it's like an it's, it's an ethical argument against a legal mm. one isn't it and the thing is you can't you you just you know you know unless you unless you're being paid enough money to not concern yourself with the mm. ethical implications then you have to take the ethical argument you have to you have to say it's not right you you know it's 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 incumbent on everybody who isn't hasn't got skin in the mm. game to to take to take the to take the argument that it is it's it's an it's not, the sport is not right and the sport needs to change if if these if the if there are increasing if there's increasing evidence of these things taking place that that players and you know how many times have you know how many times have you talked about this, Jed, in the last three years of players? How many times have people discussed, you know, the repeated concussions mm. for, say, George North, or the fact that Dan Bigger came mm. back from 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 having a head knocks, you know, at a crucial time during a tournament in order to play a game, you know, and, and everybody's really in their heart of hearts if they had their if they were being totally honest would probably breathing a sigh of relief that he made the he made the starting 15 in a game that he had to play so that's you know and that, and that decision has to be taken out of the hands of the players and the, and the and the fans have to recognize that that's that and the the only way to do that is to make it more safe and i know and the, i know there's ton there are loads of people i i've got friends who 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 would who don't agree with that opinion because they think you know it is people have to take responsibility for the actions that they choose they take but there is a better way of doing this surely there is there is a you know the way that the way that the game is played now is is almost you know it's almost deliberately going into that you know into a, a far riskier um uh, you know, a far riskier environment now than it was twenty years ago, because the, we see so many more incidences. So, on the one hand, the player welfare has improved, but also we're also asking players to do things yeah. that they weren't asked to do twenty years ago. No, exactly, and it's an interesting point. And on that, we've had a question in from uh, from Matt Armstrong, who has said, essentially, what can rugby do? to address this issue. And you've touched on a few of those things there. The interesting thing I'd like to add to that, or hopefully it's, it's interesting, I've seen it quoted from quite a few players, that it's the training that is as important as as anything that happens on the pitch. It's the frequency that you're asked to go into full contact training on a daily basis and the damage that that does to you on a, yeah, it does, does to your body, can do to your head. If, if that was something that was limited, then you can see that how much of an impact that would have. Again, I think Alex mentions it in his uh, in his piece on the BBC. I've seen Simon Shaw talk about it in the past. 
Uh, Jamie Ring has mentioned it uh, a couple of times on Twitter this week. And that makes sense to me because, it, you know, there's so much that we don't see that goes on on a, on a daily basis in terms of training. And that's the bit that if you're able to regulate that and the number of sessions that are, uh, that are allowed, and that is that's placed upon clubs from from the governing bodies i could see that making a massive massive impact alongside the things like you say about the um yeah about the decision being taken away from the player and and all of those things that have gradually got better on the pitch uh, on on match day but yeah to me it's, it seems as much about training as it is about match day itself yeah, I can imagine that without, I, I, I don't know whether this was just, you know, hypersensitivity on my part, but it was interesting watching uh, the way that the players were treated on um, during the Bath Scarlets game, for instance, where the cameras were straight on to um, Samson Lee going off and Jake Ball going off with a sense of foreboding obviously because they both had head knocks and then obviously Talupe Falata was stayed stayed on the pitch longer and then they replayed the head collision there and he was he, he was you know only but I think only after he'd come off and even in those circumstances you just got a sense that almost like the media was refereeing or not refereeing but the media was being very vigilant in terms of kind of recognizing what had happened but um but in training, that's not going to happen anyway, is it? You know, you're going to just get up and get on with it. And it looked like looked to me like Sam Parry had a pretty hard knock um, yesterday as well. But I mean, I you know, I'm no expert, but it's just, I think for me, it's just it's a it's a case of clearly I can can't even imagine they're multiplying. You know, you, we see it on a we see it on a weekend. But they're doing that five more times during the week or maybe four more times or maybe three more times, but it's still too many times, right? So, um, yeah, there's something's got to be done on that front. But I also just think from a, purely from a structural point of view, that they've got to, it's got to be a dramatic change to the game. It would be for the better of the game as well. I mean, I sound like a complete romantic, you know, a romantic sort of idealist here, but... You take players off the pitch and you give more room for people to be able to move so they don't have to actually, they don't have to be, you know, 17 stone centres who have got to crash it through the middle. They can actually use their feet and start playing rugby in the way that rugby was originally supposed to be played. But I know I sound like a 54-year-old man who used to go and see Swansea dance around, the, you know, St. Helens pitch in 1978. But that's the that's still fundamentally, I think, a really important thing. You know, you've just got to avoid contact rather than look for it. Yeah, and look, I, I think there's a there's there's the idealistic bit, and that's fine. And you know, I think obviously both you and I fall into that bracket to a certain degree. But then the other point is, you listen to the players who who finished playing it, the game recently, and you put to one side, you know, the, the Steve Thompson, Alex Popham, and Michael Lipman stuff that's come out this week. Only a few months ago, Dylan Hartley released his autobiography and, and he speaks about the damage that's gone onto his body. I don't know if you saw the, the, the documentary with Sam Warburton a year or so ago. And he doesn't. it's not so much that he mentions it in there, but you watch Sam trying to go down a set of steps and he's kind of tackling those steps like a, you know, like a 75-year-old a guy. You know, he's, mm. he, his body has been through that much. And again, that just makes you think that, that the fundamentals of the game have gone 
as the game's got more professional and you know, I'm not here to blame analysts and say, oh, it's their fault. It's not. They're, they're always looking for the right ways to, or the, the most effective ways to win games because it's professional sport. There's a lot of money at stake. Of course, you're going to do that. But if the rules are such that you reward more contact, you know, that, that from a, a player welfare point of view and from an aesthetic point of view, you reward more kicking. Well, then, of course, the analysts are going are to do that and that's going to inform coaching, that's going to inform playing. You know, if the rules are set up or optimised to, to something that encourages... And I'm not saying anything wacky like Stuart Barnes was suggesting, you know, you if a try scored from 40 yards out, you get eight points or something like that. I don't think, I don't think it takes anything like that. It's just... You know, like like you're saying, if you're able to reduce the contact in certain ways, if the breakdown is able to become more an honest contest for the ball and less, uh, you know, less a, a route to get penalties and therefore therefore territory, and it's safer. Uh, you know, if you're able to uh, to disrupt that defensive line that's got so good, you know, rug, rugby's always tinkered with its rules. It always has, and generally, you, you end up with a with a better with a better result. And you know, for me watching some of those players that uh, the, the weekend you know I, I, I just want to be able to see a, a situation where there is a role on the pitch for people of, of different sizes and there's also yeah a reward for players who want to play you know who want to play more attacking rugby whereas it's it is very much at the moment and again, you know, I know people will shoot me down for this, but it is, you know, you are rewarding the kick-in. So I don't blame the players. I don't blame the coaches. That's that's the thing that just that just needs to be that needs to be tinkered with. And and yeah, the, the Heineken Cup this weekend was miles more entertaining than um uh, than than the the COVID Cup was. And uh, and I don't know, I don't know exactly why that is, but for me, it's yeah. In the long run, you you have just got a you there's a bit of a reset that has to happen with uh, with the game. And uh, that's everything from player welfare to entertainment. Did you see, do, do you think that the breakdown is is better now than it was a year ago? No, I don't actually. Although I, I think you're seeing a lot less uh, Irish, New Zealand, Leinster style flying in like Superman into rucks. Uh, I think you're seeing less of that. And again, this is purely my observation. There's no evidence to back this up. I think you're seeing less of that, which is good, but you are just seeing a lot more, a lot more turnover that rewards, the reward is a penalty rather than turnover ball, you know, and that's normally the exciting bit about turnover is you get turnover ball and you're able to attack and run. And that's why New Zealand, you know, throughout the 2000s and probably before that as well, were able to survive on 35, 40% possession and win games because they turned over and they scored. And it was exciting, you know, just when you thought you're in the game at nine all, bang, turnover, uh, you know, McCaw to Carter to Marnonu to Doug Howlett, try. And it was, you know, it was devastating, but brilliant to watch. And I think that that's the thing now is the breakdown results in penalties, much like the scrum is not a reset anymore. It's an opportunity to get penalties, really. And penalties equals territory. That means there's a lot more emphasis that's placed on these areas of the game. They're always going to be important. Set piece, breakdown, line outs. You know, I'm I'm not saying you take that away because you end up with sevens or rugby league, but I just think that you can optimise it in a way that rewards the the advantage of of turning the ball over is that you can run with it rather than you can hoof it down the field. And you know, no no offence to Exeter, 
but uh, you know they're, they're brilliant at that driving line out they're brilliant at the physical yeah. side of the game it just doesn't really float my boat you know i'd rather see a game that rewards that rewards uh that rewards somebody who plays like japan than somebody who plays like exeter or saracens or leinster and you watch um you know the the you know we we when we watch Wales play, we say, why are they always just one-up runners? Mm. Why are they not Why are they not going in pods of two? Why are they not latching on? Why are they... But actually, when you see that, that, you know, would you want like two X to second or forwards running at you at a rate of knots when you're an outside half mm. or, a, or a scrum half who's 15 stone at best and you're basically putting... So, you know, latching is not right from a physical protection point of view of the players because you're suddenly putting putting you know 38 stone of 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 people charging straight into you you know it's there are all sorts of different and i know that on the try line there's not that level of momentum that you get perhaps if you're in loose if you're in open play but those kind of things they often they're often places where where um obviously teams get stressed uh, defenders get massively stressed and they put their bodies on the line time and time again and it does result in that i can imagine that in training can you just imagine how bad that is in training mm. because they they have to coach you know they have to coach coach people to willingly put themselves on the line in defense without a doubt um and it just that seems to be something that that is now a a really, you know, efficient, the most efficient teams who are, at, you know, at the at the rolling mall or at those kind of try line situations are the ones that that have benefited the most in European rugby, certainly. So, it, and that that's a place of of quite, I would imagine, that's quite a dangerous place um, for 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 long term physical damage as well. Yeah, no, I'd absolutely agree with that. Let's take one more on this, uh, one more question on these side of things. And then in the second half, we're going to go ahead and review the action from the weekend because there were, there was uh, lots of, uh, lots of enjoyable stuff in there. So uh, yeah, I'm not always, I'm not always looking back uh, like a romantic. I'm sure people will be quick to point out that I am, but in the second half, we are going to look at some, <laughs> some modern rugby, but we're just going to take this one now, which is uh, from Nick Humphrey. Uh, if to manage concussion dangers, we need to go to 25 games a season, uh, ally the Sam Warburton proposal, what would be the right ratio of international to club uh, games for top players? Is it 10 tests, 15 games for club? Well, do you know what? With this, I just feel like it's there's just way too much rugby that's played. And there's way too much rugby that's played with... Um, you know, with, with the same set of players. And, you know, we've said it dilutes the quality of, of the Pro 14 and of the Premiership when you're playing at the same time. All I think all of these things, and I was really hoping that the kind of the chaos that COVID had inflicted might, um, in a rugby sense, might uh, actually get us to a position where we could have some reform of a, of a global calendar. I don't feel particularly optimistic about that. And I, I kind of was five or six months ago. But it is just an awful mess that you've you've got so many different um, you've got so many different stakeholders, so many different power brokers in the game. That yeah, I think in an ideal scenario, you, you would have players playing twenty five games a season, and 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 you know, I think ideally you probably wouldn't be playing ten tests either, would you? I think you'd you know you'd have that number reduced. But in order for any of that to happen, 
you're going to have to completely reform the game. You're going to have to completely reform uh, the the power that various different bodies have, and you're going to need to uh, you're going to need to reform where the money comes from. Because at the moment, it's yeah. you know, test money really, uh, test match rugby is really what makes the money, which is why we have more and more of it, particularly in Wales, you know. And that's, uh, but it, there's 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 no denying that it's diluted the quality, and and you know, you've ended up with, you know, when you're playing Australia three times a year or South Africa three times a year, that appeal has gone. It's not the same as a, you know, as a as a touring side turning up in the. Um, I think even you know the, when the Auto International started at the in the early two thousands, there was this wonderful sense of oh god, what a chance to take on New Zealand or or South Africa. And then when you start playing them more and more and more, that naturally gets diluted a bit. And so for a number of reasons, I think that there there needs to be this this reset um, across the board. But in order for that to happen, people are going to have to you know are going to have to put down their um, their own allegiances and. At the moment, I just think people are going to be, you know, governing bodies are going to be looking to protect their own uh, their own interests. And if that's the case, nothing will change unless someone is there to is there is able to force it. But this is where we have to, you know, again to use the the COVID um, analogy of so many different areas, walks of life, where people have said, "Okay, this is a time for us to reevaluate and change." And I, I you know characteristically quite cynical about that right at the start when people were saying this actually could you know we have we have new opportunities here every you know it could be everything could change for the better and I was thinking yeah right have you met human beings um it's just that in all honesty representative rugby should change completely because you know it's easy for us to say now that now that we're rubbish um maybe it's not as important as it should be but i genuinely think that we need to scale it back and 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 think about uh, you know um think about represent you know representing your country as an as a great opportunity but that it shouldn't necessarily be uh, it gives say a player base along the lines of you know a, a, a kind of Obviously, the, with Wales having much less of a player base, perhaps than than many countries, then it maybe wouldn't benefit us greatly. But to think about, uh, you know, uh, thirty, forty-five players being capped every year, you know, um, you know, thinking about it as a repre- uh, you're representing your country rather than you're a team, you know, that rather than you're a one. Sc- one squad and I mean obviously there are certain positions where we could do that but not many of them but I, I think that every you have to spread the caps around a bit or you have to think about it in different but everybody has to sign up for that and it, uh, and I think I quite like the idea of uh, the suggestion of sort of limiting international appearances for me is a really is a really good thing to do because I think that ultimately those players need to play where they where their clubs are they need to i'm very much in at that dislocation between even on a regional level the dislocation between the regions and the you know the the clubs that mythically are supposed to be their feeder clubs you Mm. know that drives me to distraction and i know that most people couldn't give a toss about that um but it makes me really really mad to think of um of regions with huge players player base you know while all the clubs around them are just struggling you know to even 
you know, they, they, with players who aren't playing, you know, with tons of tons of really promising players not getting the opportunity to develop other than when they're getting smashed up on the training field. So I would say, yeah, give, you know, have give players a, a, a very a, a very small number of opportunities to play international rugby and let them play their club rugby you know more games but I know that that's never going to happen that's well just, I, I don't know if it's never going to happen because I still don't think you know I think this if you look at the English Premiership they've been given a lifeline by the government but it's a series of loans and they weren't you know they, those clubs are not turning a profit they've no. you know they, there was a, a highly inflated TV deal seven years ago and off the back of it that money has gone into into players pockets which is going to be unsustainable because they can't make that money back. And who knows, you know, maybe Amazon will, will pitch up and buy the TV rights for the premiership and bail and bail them out. But it's at best going to give parity. They're never going to be able to be, uh, to be able to break thing, you know, to break even, um, you know, some of them do fair enough, but it's a uh, very, very few of those teams in the premiership do because the, the money just isn't there in the game. So something will need to change in order for that to happen. And again, you know, this, this, the loan will have to get repaid where that extra money is going to come from. If it's not from a broadcast deal, I'm not entirely sure. So I don't think that those clubs are going to be out of the woods yet. And I've said this before, I can see, more and more parts of the game leaning on CVC as a um, as venture capitalists who are heavily invested in the game already, and there will come a point where everyone has to sell their soul to them. And if they do that, they are the kind of people who will put through reform. Reform, and I've said this before: it's not for the good of the game; it's for the the opportunity to create a product that more people will want to buy the kind of thing that Amazon would want to break the bank for, or sky would want to break the bank for, or who knows, Google, Facebook, whoever. And at the moment that doesn't exist other than the six nations and the rugby world cup. There's nothing that anyone is going to, is going to go out of their way. There's nothing in the club game that, you know, that, that anyone is going to think I'm going to chuck loads of money at this because I'm going to see a return on investment. Because it's just not there, you know. The, the the fan base and the quality of that product is not there. So they are the only the only time that I could see change happening. And you know, governing bodies across the world, clubs across the world, are going to be in financial problems for a for a long period of time. Particularly if you know if lawsuits and things like that go ahead. So I think change could happen, but it's going to be forced rather than through uh, than through a spirit of collaboration. Is there anything that we can learn from rugby league or any other sports that are played in Britain that have a, a more sustainable approach to their to what they do? I don't know. I mean, again, rugby league uh, has been hugely reliant on that Sky deal. Obviously, the the sport was kind of was born out of it in whenever that would have been ninety ninety four ninety five that Super League was created, something like that. Okay. Maybe a little later. Um, but again, what you know, what you do have is where the sport is less on on terrestrial television and less readily available. It disappears from it disappears from view. And you know, I've, I've kind of spoken about this in the past that that can be a dangerous thing itself. Now, again, rugby club rugby has ne- has not been on um, has not been on free to air television really for a very long time until what two two years ago when 
Channel 4 took me at the Heineken Cup and Channel 5 took a couple of premiership games. Um, so I know it's a, a slightly different scenario in, in Wales where we have had it. But again, that's as part of a tournament where you've got rights spread out across Ireland and in England, uh, sorry, Ireland and Wales and Scotland and everything else. So it's all just very, very disjointed. And that I think has had a big effect. But now you're also in a media landscape where television isn't the be all and end all. You know, people consume media in a very different way. So actually, as much as I know people don't want to see Amazon being the answer to things, it could because it's a massive platform um, and there's lots of people on it. And it's relatively affordable compared to the likes of Sky and BT. That could be a way of, um, with their advertising and, and marketing might behind it, could be a way of promoting the game. And again, that doesn't, they're not really the knights in shining armor you'd necessarily want to see, but it, that could be a route. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I still go to that, you know, a, a club, you know, if you, if you are, overspending massively mm-hmm. and like you said the, the, the you know the all the money is going really as danger money into the po- pockets of the players it's that that it's unsustainable yeah, it right is. it is and it was unsustainable seven years ago when it happened and it'll be very interesting to see how they how premiership rugby negotiate themselves you know out of this um out of this scenario because it's yeah it just it was never it was never going to be sustainable there's not the sponsors in rugby that's why you see the you know that's why you see shirts covered in 15 different sponsors logos because it's a rat race now it's just we need to get you know any sponsor who's prepared to pay money okay let's sell them what we've always sold them let's sell them the you know let's sell them a, a patch on the sleeve or on the arse or wherever it is and there it's not like they've been able to increase the year you know whereas international rugby you know, you still only have one sponsor on the front. So if you want to grow that sponsorship, you've got to make it work harder. You've got to deliver more for your sponsor. They've got to be really pleased with it. And that's not the case in, in club rugby. Those those sponsors aren't there, you know. It's, uh, it's, um, it's a really, really concerning state of, um, state of affairs and all things that, that the sport as a whole are going to have to get right. Um, but it's easier to attract sponsors if you've got a better product. You know, I can't imagine that anyone is queuing up to sponsor the Pro 14 if Guinness decide not to renew. You know, it's as far as I'm aware, that was a dirt cheap sponsorship that they got when it um, when it first happened. Um, you know, the Guinness for the Six Nations was a was a, a cut price um, deal compared to what uh, previous sponsors are paying with it. But the thing with Guinness is they know how to make it work. They know how to convert. A sponsorship into selling more pints and they do it really really well and other sponsors don't necessarily know that and I don't think that clubs and governing bodies necessarily have got the right model to to do that on behalf of a sponsor if you know what I mean so it becomes harder and harder you know and if you're if you're writing the checks in a marketing department um sponsorship is a risky one and so all of these things add up and it it paints for quite a bleak landscape financially and something you know there's lots of things in there that are that are going to have to change um but anyway let's take a quick break and after that we are going to talk about some on the field stuff because as we said there have been some really exciting games this weekend and we've also had uh, plenty of um plenty of excitement amongst the welsh region so let's come on to talk about that but very uh, but first we're going to take this very quick break
Right, time then, Justin, to look at the on-the-pitch action. And it's safe to say that the Welsh side's had more luck getting results in Europe than Boris Johnson has done this week. Uh, where do you want to start? I, I suppose we had better start with the Scarlets because that is probably the, the biggest news. Um, I didn't necessarily see this one coming, to be honest. I, I thought perhaps with the injury concerns that they had, a trip away to Bath might have been too difficult. But uh, that's a massive result, isn't it? I th- Yeah, I, I thought... Even listening to the pod last week, I was thinking, "Come on, you know, let's get real here. We're going to get, we're going to get battered by, you know, I, by all all the English Prem teams, and you know, perhaps we'll get something against the French if they decide to to send out their third string sides." But it was amazing. It was really, really good. Um, and you know, it, it, just to extend the the talk about. Um, advertising the game you know uh, my my father's you know uh, has become in, in increasingly disenchanted with with the sport uh, having introduced me to it uh, in the 1970s and uh, he's he, he watched the the game and he just was reading out the team sheet this morning or the Bath team sheet to me this morning going look look at who they had in the team look McConaughey and I'm thinking my dad knows McConaughey you know uh, know, Anthony Watson all these players and they beat them it it was it was it was um, and bearing in mind the circumstance the actual circumstances of the week you know team team meetings on Zoom as they Mm. kept on saying on on the commentary yeah, what a performance. What a performance. Yeah, I mean, the thing is as well, I think since kind of Glenn Delaney took over, I hadn't really seen too much too much of that kind of old Scarlet's in there that thought, oh, they're going to be able to go and get, um, go and get a, a big result like that. But, you know, a win away from home, especially at Bath in the Heineken Cup, just gives you that, it gives you that confidence that that could completely reignite their season and, uh, and could be onto something could be onto something, uh, something very big. Who stood out? Which players really impressed you for them? Oh well, you know the Jack Morgan fan club <laughs> again. Uh, you know uh, he he wasn't quite as dominant because he was he was it was very much uh, you know he was against a formidable back row um, in the Bath with the Bath back row. Uh, um, you know, but they did. I th- still think they he 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 looked really good. But I I thought the team as a whole just you know the, the, the it was all about the last five minutes for me was that the I really didn't think they'd hang in there. Um, the it, it very very uh, you know just really really a full bore. I, I'm not a Dan. I'm not massive um, Dan Jones fan, for instance, and I thought. But you know they control the game fairly well. They just looked they looked wholehearted right through from 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 you know fifteen to one really. Yeah, and it was also I was really pleased to see Josh McLeod coming on and making a making a significant contribution as well. Yeah, I mean he always does make a significant contribution, doesn't he? When he plays, and it's desperately unlucky that he picked up that injury just before the the autumn campaign because I you know I'm fairly certain he would have been involved in a in some respects given that. Most of our back row choices weren't even in the initial squad, but yeah, I mean, you know, he's a, he's an excellent player, and I think again, it's an interesting point you made there, or rather, your dad made there. It's uh, that team sheet, you know, is the the Scarlet team sheet I'm talking about now. A lot of players in there who are filling in because of injuries, and I think that's a 
you know, that's that makes it all the more impressive. You know, the likes of Combeer having to step up and you know, obviously Steph Hughes has done a good job for them over the, you know, over the years. Um but they but these players being able to do it. And I think in the pack, having you know, having that depth, players like Calamophony and then uh, Yeah, Calamophony was was uh, he yeah, he he was fantastic, no doubt about that at all. And it is that combination of having you have to have some wise old heads in there and he was he was outstanding. And when you think that Zach Mercer was you know was was on you know, as he always is, really was such a menace in attack in particular for Bath. They did really, really well to cope with that. Yeah, and a, a very, uh, yeah, very, very big result. And as we as we said last week, I know there was there was what two thousand fans in the uh, in the ground, which you know is, is obviously encouraging to see. But it's just one of the, it's one of those games where you would have loved to have had uh, have have the red pack there. Yeah, the boom, booing the hell out of Alexander Ruiz, the ref, and <laughs> from start to finish. But even seeing like you know seeing. Um, uh, Javan Sebastian, I mean, to come yeah. on, and you just think, oh, hello, this he's gonna have to last the whole game now. Uh, it, coming on far earlier than he would have done normally was brilliant. Yeah, I think, I think he'd worked really um, hard at his game, actually, Javan Sebastian, and uh, he's yeah, you know, he's, he's routinely puts in a shift for them. And yeah, yeah, you know, that that is the thing we've said this, you know, numerous times over the last four years, but that is the thing that Scarlet's in particular have done well is their squad players stepping up to put in big performances when they need to. And like you said, you know, uh, you know, Dan Jones is, is you know, probably a bit more than a squad player, but he's, yeah, you know, he is able to, to step in and, and put in big performances and that makes a big, big difference in. Uh, and more, yeah. Morgan Jones is another yeah. one you've got to mention in dispatches as well, because you think, wow, you know, there were obviously the ultimate try saving tackle at right at the end there as well. Is fantastic, but the um, and he just he cannot half penny just looks he looks great now, doesn't he? Don't you think? I, yeah, I don't understand. You know, like there was a point two or three years ago where I did I did worry about half penny and just thought, you know, because again you have that romantic figure in your head of World Cup twenty eleven and making these breaks and readjusting his scrum cap as he's you know as he's dashing 40 meters towards the line and he thought oh he's never going to get quite back to that player but his defensive play is so good his kicking is so good ah. he's he, he is just you know an a, the consummate professional and I mean that in the you know in the in the best possible way he's a he's a phenomenal player he will go down as an all-time Wales great and uh and rightly so and again, you have to say you have to say that he's it's it part of it might might have something to do with recovery, mm. physical recovery. Simple as that. That players you know, going back to what you said earlier about players going onto the pitch knowing they've already got injuries or they've been knocked sideways in training or whatever, and they're carrying. Well, Halfpenny obviously had had serious problems, didn't mm. he, for a while. Oh, he's, he's had horrendous, you know, you think the, the injury that kept him out of uh, the World Cup in 2015 and that was, you know, that was a massive, massive blow for him and then the the repeated concussions as well. He's had, you know, he's had some some horrendous injuries but, you know, just saying there, he's you know, he's going to go down as an all-time Wales great. I think Scarlet's fans will, will, will say he's going to go down as a, you know, as a, as a as a Scarlet's great as well, you know. I think he's he's put in some massive performances for them, and uh, you know he's he's certainly not there to just just turn up and play the occasional game and 
concentrate on Wales every time he takes to the pitch. He he gives absolutely everything, and yeah, he's uh, yeah he, he is a, a fantastic player. Do you think this is going to be the a kickstart? I mean, that's the obviously we just get all very opt- overly optimistic. But do you think it? Would be uh, what just generally for the regions? Or, or just general for Scarlets um, in particular because they've obviously had that they've lost they've been close to winning games you know the Munster yeah. game was a was a you know was a oh, catastrophic end to that you know and the various games where they've been close but no cigar. I mean I think you know you're able to to mess around a bit in the league aren't you and and rotate players a bit and have the odd bad result because it seems to go on forever and you can always sneak a you know you can sneak a playoff spot until relatively late so I think it can have an it, you know will have an effect most importantly though they've got you know they've got a chance of getting on a European run and that has you know that's that's massive. You know, you win, you win your first game, especially if it's away from home. I'm still not entirely sure how the hell this uh, this group stage works, but mm. it's you know this I think could be a could be a, a real a real big kickstart for them. And they've got Toulon next week at home, which is a side that you know they play each other every year, don't they? At least once every year. And so yeah, you know, I don't think that's a I don't think that's a bad uh, a bad thing for them at all uh, to have that as the next game. So. Yeah, I think I think that could build some momentum for them. You know, we've seen it happen in the past that one big result can be a you know can be a catalyst. And um, yeah, I don't know. I I just think that they they put themselves in a in a really good position there. Yeah, let's uh, let's just take this question from John Lewis because it leads nicely onto uh, onto the Dragons as well. Without taking into account their age, how good are Jack Morgan and Ben Carter? Well. Yeah, I, I I do like Jack Morgan a lot, um, and I, uh, you know, you uh, you have to take again, you have to take into consideration his age, but they they do seem, uh, you know, and Ben Carter obviously got, <laughs> you know, all all anybody can ever say is thirty tackles, mm. no missed tackles. It's like a, it's a you know a stat, so I, it's difficult. He just it's difficult to know how he's how many games has he played. Uh, the yeah. only I, I don't I, I'm probably wrong on this, but the only games I can remember him playing were last week and this week. Yeah, I don't I don't same. know if that was his debut last week, um, but they're the only ones that stick in my head. Uh, but he's fantastic in both, and the lineout steals this week I think were were massive because that just kept you in the game because our our set piece wasn't firing, and that that just gives you a lifeline when you're able to when you're able to steal some lineout ball at, at key times. So. He, yeah, he's. Um, I mean, that that could be an absolute gem of a find if he can keep these performances up, because we all know that that's where the dragons have been incredibly light is in the front five. And if you're able to add that clout, and I think you know, I think Screech has been an unsung, you know, an unsung hero for the dragons for yeah. the last few years. Uh, Joe Davis, uh, you know, again, he won't he won't want to look back at that try where he left a massive a massive hole there for um I can't was it Robson to skip there for Willis to skip through but he's generally been you know been a, a really solid contributor for the dragons but to have Carter in there as well adding more emphasis you start to then have a few to have a few options in there because it can it can sometimes be incredibly hard to you know to find and afford big mean mobile second rows yeah i mean i, I I think yeah, Jack Jack Morgan's physicality, his physical build is something I marvel, <laughs> I marvel at. Which is obviously, he just seems so square and able to to withstand perhaps some of the some of the when he is 
you know, when he's in the jackal position, he seems to be able to withstand some of the stuff that comes at him. I hope that um, I hope that he is as um, robust as he looks because he's he's um, he looks he's definitely in you know when when he's played in Pro 14, he's he's also carried really well as well, and he looks like he's the sort of player that it's just going to take a hell of a lot to get him down. So I think he could be, you know, he's, he's got a bit of Basham and a bit of Griffiths and a bit of everybody mm. really, I think he's got, you know, but it, I thought Basham played really well. I, I was, um, I was so impressed. I mean, I'm, I'm a big fan of his anyway. Um, I yeah, mean, yeah. I, I can't get onto the Ollie Griffiths injury because there is a oh, small, I know, a small to medium sized chance that I might cry. Um, he, I yeah. know, and you—you you almost. I, I'm sure you actually mentioned the fact that you shouldn't be bigging him up, and then you couldn't help yourself. I know. Do you know what? I, I'm, I'm actually going to dig up the WhatsApp I sent you earlier in the week because I think you might be right. I definitely, I definitely said I, I'm very tempted to rename the, um, to rename the show the Ollie Griffiths Appreciation Hour or something like that. And yeah. uh, and you said, and you said, yeah, as long as I can do the same Jack Morgan thing. Uh, no, I obviously yeah. didn't, but I was certainly thinking it. I was certainly thinking no. You it. did, you did. I remember it. Yeah, it's it's. But it was it, it's such a shame to see him going off, and you just. I, I don't blame you for for shedding a tear. But genuinely, really genuinely, don't. if he'd stayed fit, he would be starting for Wales in the Six Nations. There's no way that he like he's been in such good form, and that and that was before the Dragons started playing half decent as well. In those games away at Ulster, and you know where we were generally getting absolutely dicked, he was just playing with an intensity that 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 I've no doubt could make the step up to could make the step up to international at the highest level. I don't think any I don't think any of the the sides in Six Nations would want to see Wales with with Ollie Griffiths in the team. Um, you know, I don't know. Maybe I'm asking to be to be shot down here, but I think I think he's got all all the attributes to do it and, and make that step up. I know he's got you know he's got one cap already or one or two caps, but oh, it's just I'm I'm absolutely heartbroken for him because he's been playing so well, and every season he gets a, a horror injury, and just to to see him limping off the well, not even limping, kind of carried off the pitch like that with his ankle not looking in good nick. Uh, yeah, I just, you know, I don't know. It's uh, it's terrible to see. But Basham, again, he plays he plays in a very similar way. You know, his his ability to strip ball and, um, yeah, and turn over and be just so athletically impressive as well. You know, he's really quick. And if he gets on a break, he's very, very hard to catch. And, yeah, I mean, there, there are some great options in the, in the back row for the Dragons, even when you've got, even when you've got Wainwright missing, and uh, and Keddy missing and uh, yeah and all these players yeah just you know, I mean classic dragons calamity really. Do you think uh, is was just uh, starting with Hibbard is just to keep some sort of continuity or was uh, and to give Elliot D a, a bit of a break or I don't know I don't know if he wanted some impact coming off the bench but certainly the changes the changes in the pack must have affected the line out. Um, you know, I don't think there's any doubt that Elliot's the that Elliot's the, the best hooker in the squad. Uh, so I don't know. I'm I'm never I'm never a fan of not starting your best fifteen. I like having impact players off the bench, but I don't know. That didn't quite yeah, it didn't quite add up for me either. I think if he was, I don't know, maybe maybe that that was a that was a conscious decision that he played a you know fair amount of rugby at, 
and you know and have the the 20 odd minutes in him but I always think that's a risk anyway because what if he had gone off after two minutes he'd, he'd have had to come on and play 78 minutes anyway so yeah I don't know I'm not entirely sure but yeah and do you, how do you how do you evaluate the performance because obviously you know it it you know on paper it didn't it, you know it looks like an easy win and it wasn't it wasn't like that but what what do, do you think you know do you think it was noble a noble yeah. defeat? It was a noble defeat. Yeah. It was spirited. Uh, I do think they're moving in the right direction. Uh, I, I, I think, you know, generally you can look at that and say, yeah, it was, you know, spirited. However, it, it's frustrating because Sam Davis kicks a routine penalty and a routine conversion. Uh, and there was another penalty in the first half. You're right yeah. away in that game. And he's been a brilliant signing for us because we get so much back football. He's able to give you territory and stuff. But... You know he won't be he won't be pleased with his kicking statistics from this season. His place kicking is you know is kind of in the the late fifty percent mark I think, and that's you know that's that's not good enough for a first string goal kicker. And he's a better goal kicker than that. You know you remember him at the Ospreys even when he wasn't playing particularly well. His goal kicking was never was never really much yeah. of a cause for concern. But that's the thing you know you miss kicks in a game that in a game that you had no rights to be in given all the upheaval at the start of the game. And and then it stops being a valiant, you know, a valiant defeat and can be right, we're on to an upset here. But I, I knew when when we got that scrum on the just in just inside their half, the minute we got it for a knock-on, I was like, this will be a penalty wasps. And it was, and they kicked it down the field and they scored. And you could just you could just tell it was one of those momentum shifters. And yeah, it's uh, you know, I I I think it is, yeah, it's a spirited performance, but I do feel like we could have, yeah, we could have uh, had half a sniff going into those last five minutes uh, if, uh, yeah, if we'd have been able to to take our chances. What about Roman Poit? He said oh, backing I, I mean, me. I haven't got that long. I haven't got that long to go, right? But um, I have no idea. I mean, look, the scrum, the scrums. I'm going to leave to one side because obviously he'd made his mind up, and you know that's why. He loves he loves picking on a tight yeah, that's head. That's thing, he? isn't it? Yeah, he loves picking on a tight head. Now, the the yellow card that they showed to Sopawanga, yeah, how he could look at that and think, no, 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 I'm fine with it. I'm fine with it without having a look. I just don't understand. Like he's he's really got this into his head that he doesn't need to go to the uh, to the TMO. He did the same thing against England with the bigger, uh, you know, with the bigger um, tackle in the air. That, I mean, it was it was obvious, and it was only because Nigel Owens badgered him three times from the from the TMO box that he that he eventually went and had a look at it, and it was a, a clear yellow card. You know, I think if there hadn't have been the slip, it, it could have been a red. But and also, you know, are, are the the um, uh, the, point, cheap the, point of, the point of contact was the chest. It wasn't. It was the yeah. chin. And you know, so and I'm not saying you know, I don't think we would have won the game anyway, but. It, no. the, the fact for me that he could be sufficiently happy having seen that tackle in real time and go there's no need to check this there's something I used to think he was a half decent ref and and right now it's just a yeah it's just a it's an absolute horror show and the the Tom Cruise cheap show yeah. as well that, yeah that was just I mean I don't, yeah you know as, as again Warburton said it in commentary it's just like you can you can set a precedent there and just say if you do daft things like that it's a yellow card you know, you're not, it's not a legal clear out. And uh, yeah, just, um, 
yeah, just again, hugely frustrating from him. But we must talk about the other regions before we uh, before we wrap up because there are yeah. two good wins in the Challenge Cup as well. And uh, let's start on Friday night with uh, with Cardiff Blues. I said to Dan last week, I think they could do a lot worse than target a run in this competition, and uh, and I, I definitely stick by that after um, after that win on Friday night. Yeah, I mean, it was um, it was it was kind of it was just a really good way to win. Mm. <laughs> it, it wasn't really pretty, was it? But um, it just felt like, it just felt like they had something that they, you know, if they needed to dig, that they could definitely, you know, they, they could definitely, they, they would definitely could take control of the game if they wanted to. And it, they weren't always in control of the game. And that's what I always mm. felt. I always felt it was going to be one of those where it was slipping their way and then you know slipping into into Newcastle's hands and then the the last they just did really well in the second half didn't they and and uh, yeah again some really good performances there from p- perhaps the players that you wouldn't necessarily you know not stars of the of the squad who stood out for you yesterday so, Oh, I thought I thought the front row went really mm. well because they were, the scrum was amazing. They, they, you know, I don't know whether Newcastle have Newcastle got a notoriously weak scrum, but certainly they had the best player on the pitch in that. Uh, oh the my word, God, what a player he is, Blamire or whatever. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah. I thought he was South African or something, and then they said he was just a local boy yeah. who'd come through the come through the age. Jeez, group. I mean the 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 turn of pace and the power on him. There's a touch of the uh, who's the Leinster hooker who I love the uh, Cronin. Oh, yeah, yeah, you know, amazing. A, a touch of the that yeah that that there's something great about watching that level of pace with a, a fellow in number two on his back. Yeah, and um, you know, Millard looked. Really, really sharp. He, he looks um, better on the. He looked better on the wing. I thought Garrett. I, I know. I said. I, I seem like I'm the only person in the Gar- world who thinks Garrett. No, I, I love Garrett Smith. <laughs> I just, I, I've mentioned it on Twitter a few times, and some Cardiff fans have shot me down and said he's, you know, he's, yeah, you know, great. Thanks for the thanks for the performance in Bilbao a couple of years ago. But you know, he's all right. Oh God, I thought he was great. You know, I, it just he straightens up. He does a lot of a yeah. lot of a lot of grunt. And uh, you know that he breaks some tackles. Just yeah, I think sometimes you know it's a calm. He's a calm head. He doesn't. You know, there are moments when you just think, "Are you going to offload?" And he doesn't. Mm. And you kind of go, "Well, you did the right thing there." There's a bit of, you know, sometimes it gets frustrating to see John Fox die with the mm. ball, doesn't it? And you think, "Oh, why didn't you?" But then you kind of realise that they know what they're doing. And Smith is like that. He's he, and to have Ben Thomas with him. He's got to be that person, and he, you know, he created a try because of, out of a, you know, there was a lot of loose passing, mm. you know, um, across the backs, and it, it, you know, a lot of the time, Gary Smith has to tidy this that stuff up, and he, it, you know, the one time he did it, they scored a try. Yeah, no, I, I think he's, I think he's a bit of an, un, a bit of an unsung hero. I really, I'm, I'm glad to see Ben Thomas getting game time, even though he's not, you know, he's not showing the the perhaps the flair that he did when when he first went into the yeah. team but that he's getting he's getting great experience oh, I still, I still love be, watching him play he just you know he seems to glide across the pitch 
and I, and I yeah. like that a lot. And um, yeah, he's a he's a he's a real talent, and I, I do think he probably is an uh, he's a he's a twelve rather than an outside half, I think. And yeah, I, I, I've been very impressed with him generally. But yeah, he's, you're right. He's, he's learning lots in these games as well. You know, I know he had a horrible start to the Leinster game the other week, but he'll be he'll be learning loads during these times. I think he's a real talent. Yeah, and just to rub further salt into your wounds, uh, Corey Hill was amazing, wasn't he? Yeah, I mean, you know, I've used this analogy in the past that it is like watching, you know, it's like watching uh, a girl you've just broken up with go back to her ex-boyfriend. But you know what? Uh, I I wish him every happiness. I I can't bring it. I can't bring it. I can't bring myself (laughs) to hate Corey. I'm such a massive fan of his. I think he's a brilliant player. He's someone who's just worked harder and harder and harder and turned himself into a really formidable player. And that's not just a club level. I said this the other week. I, I... it baffles me why he's not he's not he didn't play more for Wales over the autumn. Really does. I think he's a, I think he's a fantastic player. And uh yeah, just again another another great performance. He's a brilliant leader. Everyone you speak to is in the dressing room with him, says he leads in a very kind of lead by example, doesn't doesn't say too much, but when he does, you listen. And uh yeah, he's it's a massive boost for, for Kyle to have him back. I think he's a he's a, a tremendous player. And I wish I wish yeah. him and her all the happiness. <laughs> so magnanimous, Jed, honestly. You really are all about the giving. You it's, wait, it's uh, amazing. Oh, yeah, it'll end up being one of those things where I get drunk and start tweeting about him. <laughs> yeah, I'll end up, you know, I'll end up calling him a slut on Twitter or something. <laughs> <laughs> when I'm trying to take the higher ground. Let's finish that by talking about uh, by talking about the Ospreys. As we said there, good win. I think that's in the same bracket, uh, yes, in that get a good cut run could do could do wonders for uh could do wonders for morale at uh, at the Liberty. Yeah, it just looked it looked more cohesive. It, it mm. just didn't it looked like they knew what they were doing. And it, it, if you've got Myler in the team, you know what you've got to do. If you've got you know, if you've got the back row that you had playing um last night, then you you know, you have that, you, you know what you've got to do. You're not going to just be checking it around crazy. And I, they just looked, it looked more cohesive. It looked like a team. It looked like people backing each other. It looked like people supporting each other. And I think Lydia just looks like he's risen mm. to Alan Wynn sort of like stature. I would have him as captain of the team full, full on. You know, he is just, he just looked, he, I don't know, he just, he looked, <laughs> he looked even, he even looked taller yeah. and bigger and, and stronger. And he was just really, I thought he led superbly. We said this in the past that this kind of post Galactico era of the Ospreys has always been reliant on big performances from Alan Wynn, Tipperick, uh, and, and Dan Bigger and, and Reese Webb and those kind of players. And if they weren't there, it had a it had a massive effect on on the side, and again, I think Lydia is is like you say there is doing that role now. He's become a, a talisman for for the pack and and for the whole side. So I, again, you know, in my opinion, I, I think he's another lead by example kind of player. Uh, I always remember being a bit shocked when I saw him on the that Lions twenty thirteen DVD, where you know he, he just seemed again like a very quiet, nice, polite man you know, sharing a cup of tea and a crunchy with Sam Warburton, like Morecambe and Wise. And then they cut to him in a midweek game where he's captain. And it's, you know, you can see he lives for 
he lives for playing the game and just, you know, kind of exploded in, a, in one of those unexpected rousing dressing room speeches. So, you know, I, I think he is, he's clearly a leader, but he, again, just the, the professionalism that he brings to, that he brings to an outfit. I think he's, yeah, I'm really pleased to see him, uh, to see him playing well. Yeah, I don't even want to. You know, I should. We shouldn't be promoting far uh, uh, podcasts that don't need the promotion because they're they're far more powerful in their marketing. But he, his contribution to the Scrum Five podcast is is quite interesting as well because I think you know you obviously have to he has to tread quite delicately and be very politic about these things. But he does speak well now as well, and I don't think I think he's just as matured into somebody who knows his play you know knows his place is really confident with what he's achieved and it shows on the pitch as you know it was also interesting to see venter look look I like he somebody he had a lot yeah, of organization I, didn't he yeah and i think that's been missing so much in you know uh, i thought he played really well uh, it, it's yeah prothero obviously everybody's you know he's electric but um it was really surprising to see him defending so well. He seems like the the most eager defender for such a slight such a slight player. Mm-hmm. He was really really digging in when he had to, flying around the place, doing a, a lot of hard work around defensively, not just not just in attack. So you know, and then you've always got. You've always got Dan. That that was such a class try that Dan Evans. I, I was love the, I love the way he's gone around the corner and, uh, oh. and the little yeah the that that little pass out the back from Griffiths was superb. Yeah. So the it, yeah, there's loads of stuff and Adam Beard coming on and making a making a nuisance of himself I think, I really think effectively. I think he's been very good actually since he's been dropped for Wales. I think he's put he's put his case forward to be back in that squad. Uh, come. Yeah, come February time. Yeah, so I it was very heartening. It was just heartening to see a bunch of players looking like they knew what they had to do. And, you know, everybody's got used to, right, this is what, you know, Kieran Williams does now. This is what Prothero does now. You know, there, there's some players there that are really inexperienced who are, who are kind of shining. Um, and, and, it, and it's, yeah, it just... I, I, it's very, you know, it, it's 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 definitely like you said, it's it's a, a potential momentum shifter, really, because they're not gonna they're not gonna they're not gonna win anything, but they could they could do they could build they could definitely build on what they what they've done so far because they even going to Edinburgh and winning, I mm. thought oh that was that was turning a corner, and then they were dreadful the following week, you know. Um, so that's what you're hoping for is to just put two or three of those performances together and it does feel like they're beginning to do I, that uh, and I think it's easier to do in Europe I think you can uh, I think you know next up it's Worcester and uh, you know Worcester lost their first game so then do that you know do those doubts start to creep in with Worcester and go well it's more important we stay in the premiership let's you know let's make a lot of changes so they could very easily target that and get a win then it's two from two and you start seeing yourself getting out of the pool and seeing a seeing a quarterfinal place. And I think that, again, it's just, it's just good for morale. You know, if you're able to, to get into the quarterfinal and have a big knockout game to look forward to, you know, it's been such a dire few seasons at the Ospreys that I think that would, that would really be something to build on. And 
That's what I was going to ask you, Jed. How, what is success in the, in Europe for these teams? Uh, that's a great point. I mean, obviously, the Dragons will, you know, the Dragons are, are done now. You know, if they could have pulled off a shock victory at, at home to us, that's one thing. But, you know, they'll go to Bordeaux next week, who are still in, you know, Bordeaux won their first game. Dragons will have a squad made up of whoever's available uh, because the, the COVID players will still be out and, and Griffiths, added to that list as well. So for the Dragons, it's more about getting everyone back in time for the Derby. So they're done. Scarlets need to get to the knockout stages or not need to, but that would be success, I think, to get to the knockout stages. Uh, and I would say the same for Ospreys and Cardiff. You know, if they could both get to the knockout stages, then once you're there, anything could happen. Um, yeah, that that's that would be it for me, is, is to get to, the, get to the knockout stages. It's just, you know, a, a big one-off game as such things to look forward to you know, a knockout game, particularly if it's against, uh, you know, uh, yeah, against uh, home to a big French or English side. I think that would be great, you know, because, all right, you know, it's one thing if it's, you know, if it's Munster or, Munster, or you know what I mean, you've, you've got an Irish, you know, an Irish side, but you play them in the league. There is definitely something that is brilliant about the, you know, the fact that the Scarlets were playing against Bath and uh, the Dragons were playing against Wasps and, even Cardiff, Newcastle felt like something a bit bigger, and uh, you know, it, it just—it's just so much more enjoyable watching those games than it is against Zebra or Benetton or the Cheetahs or sides like that. You know, it's—it uh, it just means a lot more, I think. And and so, yeah, if that—that that I think would be would be good progress for those sides if they're able to get a, a home court, you know, home quarter final, ideally against a against an English side. That'd be, you know, that'd be then anything can happen. So that would be successful. Yeah. It sounds like you want the Anglo-Welsh league to come back, Joe. I don't know. I know. Yeah. If I, yeah. <laughs> I know. It's, uh, it's safe to say I've banged that drum a few times, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. I mean, look, there's, there's no denying the pro, I've said it before, the pro four team is not much of a competition, is it? It's just incredibly boring a lot of the time. Um, and more, for me, it's just, you know, it's an exercise in seeing how these players go and, you know, if they're able to get into the playoffs, great. Cause then there's, you know, you get some meaningful rugby, but you've got to get through like eight months of fairly turgid stuff in order to get there. Whereas, you know, at least with Europe, yeah, at least with Europe, that's what's so encouraging about this weekend is it means that the European adventure continues for most of these. And that's so often has not been the case in recent years is that come two weekends in, it's all but done for, for the Welsh sides. And, and that just makes it a bit dull then after that. So, yeah, I, I don't know. It's, it's certainly a, a glimmer of hope that we've got some, some interesting stuff to watch for the remainder of the season. But anyway, we'd better call it a day there, Justin. Um, just very quickly before we do, Jared Evans to Gloucester, any truth in that, do you think? Oh, I don't know. I mean, it's, it, it, wouldn't, it wouldn't be beyond the boundaries, would it? Because he might think, um, I haven't got much... I haven't got, you know, they don't fancy me in the Wales team. It, it's it's not it's not beyond the boundaries. What do you think? I think it's his agent, whoever that is, uh, just you know, rattling a, kicking the tires a little bit, if you like. Okay. I, that's my that's what I guess. And then you know, I think realistically, there's every chance he will end up in that Wales squad at some point. I think that. You know, should he have been in it this time round? I think you could argue he should have been in it ahead of an injured Reese Patchell. Uh, you know, yeah. that's the that's the thing. If there's one thing Patchell doesn't need, it's you know time away from the club setup to not play. Uh, so I think that you could argue that much. 
I'm a big Jared Evans fan, but I don't think I don't agree that he should be slotting straight into straight into Wales's number ten shirt. I think he's got to prove a bit more now, and again, proving it in Europe, even the lower tier of that helps because the you know the form of, of the Pro 14 is just not it's not comparable to international rugby. So I think it's good that he's stringing together these performances, and I'm a massive fan. There's nothing I would love more than to see Jared Evans make the step up to international level and play for Wales, the way he plays for Cardiff. I'd you know, he's such an old fashioned player. He kicks in an old fashioned way. He, he runs with the ball in two hands. He dummies, he socks around his ankles. You know, he, there's, there's a lot to love about him, but I don't think he's shown enough yet to say that he would make his way into that 23, but I think he'll be in that squad come February. And I think that that hopefully will be the end of the, the rumors of him going to Gloucester. Well, he certainly, um, he proves his kicking worth on Friday. That touchline conversion was majestic, actually. Yeah, and the, and his kicking for touch yeah. was 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 really clean and long. So yeah, that's not that's that's the thing I always um, I always think. Oh God, if you if you can't if you can't reach the touchline from the middle of the park, then you're in trouble, mm. you know. Um, but he did. He he looked. He looked very much, uh, yeah, he looked on top form. He did. Right, well, that brings us to a conclusion for this week. Thanks for all the listeners' questions. Uh, a final thanks, as always, to our sponsors at So Coffee Trades. I think there's still time to get some orders in ahead of Christmas, if that is for your own personal consumption. or some good gift sets on there as well. If anyone in your family is a, is a coffee lover, you could do a lot worse than uh, heading over to socoffeetrades.co.uk. And uh, yeah, I'm a, uh, I'm going to be nagging our pal Scott on to send me some more uh, ahead of uh, ahead of uh, a lockdown Christmas or something close to a lockdown Christmas anyway. Uh, but that's it for this week. We will be back to chat rugby with you very very soon. Thanks for listening. Podcast Network.